All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Ian Small is our special guest. He is the CEO of Evernote. Ian, thank you so much. Uh, thanks for having me, Jason. Nice to be aboard. Absolutely. So for some of our listeners in our podcast is generally people who are very interested in things like productivity, working from home, that kind of thing. I suspect many of them have heard of Evernote, but could you just kind of describe for people who maybe haven't used it recently, how do you describe the app and the service of Evernote? Sure. Uh, I mean, Evernote at its core, right, is a productivity app, but really it's an app that um, is built from a basic vision that we want to become your external brain. Um, and over time, we've evolved our mission from being one where being your external brain means helping you remember uh, everything you want to remember to now moving beyond that and starting to say, we're not just going to help you remember things. We're also going to help you accomplish things. So we moved from remember everything to remember everything and accomplish anything. At the end of the day, you know, Evernote helps you collect and manage everything you might want to do. It lets you allow you to focus on what matters most and have access to the information that you need when you need it. Whether that's type notes that you type in, you know, with the editor, whether that's handwritten notes that you scanned in, documents, you know, to-do items. Uh, photos, images, web pages that you clip from the web, audio recordings, et cetera, whatever you put in, all of it is instantly searchable, instantly retrievable. At the end of the day, we want you to be able to work that the way you want to work and have at your fingertips the information that you decided was most important for you to be able to remember when you need it next. As we move into this new world of accomplishing, we're actually launching a new set of features that are targeted not just towards memory, but also taking those memories and turning them into actual achievements. And that means adding things like tasks and connections to your calendar so we can help you get through your day and decide not just what you need to remember, but also what you need to get done and then help you get those things done. That's what Evernote is about. So I want to unpack a couple of those new features in a minute, because I think that that's, I think there are two reasons why that's really interesting. I think one, as someone who, who I work from home and I'm obviously very interested in any way I can be more productive. That's interesting to me, but I also think it's interesting for people who maybe have used Evernote in the past and stopped using Evernote for various reasons, but might be interested in what you just said. And so I'm going to unpack it in a second, but I, I am interested First, can you tell us just a little bit about like how did you become the CEO of Evernote? And when you did become the CEO of Evernote, what were some of your thoughts, your thought process in terms of where to focus your efforts? I read an article from I think last year in Protocol, and you, and it described a little bit of the process of you becoming Evernote, or becoming the CEO at Evernote. But I would love to just hear from from you. How did that happen and how did you approach it when you started? Because it, I feel like a lot of things have changed since then. Yep. A lot of things have changed. Uh, so, you know, I became a CEO of Evernote in late 2018. Um, and uh, I was asked, uh, you know, by the, by the investors um, basically to, to come in and, and see um, what I could do to try and, um, get the company out of a little bit of a stalled situation that it was in. And uh, 
you know, my background is uh, very much as a, as a product oriented leader. You know, I come from an engineering background and a product background. It's what I've done all my career. Um, and uh, I've worked with some of the investors for a very long time. And so, uh, you know, I know them and they know me. So it ended up being a fit that, that made some sense. I'm personally um, passionate about productivity. I always have been. Um, and so the, the space was good. The problem that the company was facing was, um, you know, in, in, in my area of sort of knowledge um, and, and expertise. And so it, it all made some sense um, and, and aligned. And really when I came into Evernote, um, you know, what I found on the inside um, is probably no surprise um, to anybody who was looking at Evernote from the outside that at the end of the day, the over the 10 years plus, you know, the company had, for good reasons, um, built up a set of technical and product debt that made it very, very, very difficult for the company to be able to move forward and to be able to innovate and be able to actually improve the software that it had. Um, and, uh, you know, for all sorts of reasons, you know, our, uh, our cloud infrastructure um, was sort of uh, from the previous decade, which made sense because it was built in the previous decade. Um, and, you know, our software uh, strategy at the client level meant that everything we built, we had to build five times, which meant we had five different sets of bugs and um, five times as much code. And we just needed to do something about actually being able to ship software, because if you can't ship software, you can't actually make things better for your users. And so we set off on a really long two-year journey to actually try and rebuild the platform from the ground up um, and get us to a place where we could once again ship software and once again bring Evernote back to life as a dynamic and evolving uh, productivity tool that could once again start to set the agenda in the same way that you know we did when we were first uh, new to the scene, and and that was really the, the the situation when I came in, and that's really the goals that we've had over the past couple of years. And in fact, this year, you people have started to see, our users have started to see the velocity that we now have that we're able to ship things like home that we shipped in uh, in January, tasks that we put into early access. Um, you know, about a couple of months ago now and, uh, you know, calendar that's coming actually with this release that we're talking about right now are all bigger items than anyone's seen us launch actually in years. And we're launching three of them in the first six months. So I, you said something that I think is really interesting. You talked about tech debt and I'm not sure that our listeners would know what that means. My reason for asking you, if you would, if you just kind of explain it for a second and the problem that that poses is because I think that even people who are listening who aren't programmers can still relate to the idea that there are things that build up over time and either have to be cleared out or dealt with in some way. And so do you mind just talk about, you don't have to be specific about yep. what the tech debt was, but just kind of give people an understanding. So, you know, tech debt is is a phrase that we use in the software business to um, refer to sort of an accumulating set of your software that isn't really designed and implemented the way it should be in order to be able to give you flexibility moving forward. And the way that it happens is, you know, you need to make something work, for instance, for a particular feature you're implementing. 
and there's the right way and then there's the quick way and um you know if you're trying to hit a deadline sometimes what you do is say i'll do this the quick way even though i know in six months this is going to constrain us and not allow us to do these other things we'll go back and fix it in six months we'll do it the right way in six months but of course, what happens is over the course of that six months in most companies, there are other priorities. And so the thing that you did the quick way never gets fixed to be the right way. And in fact, in that next six months, you do something else the quick way. And what you end up with, if you do this enough, is software that works on the surface, but every time you wanna actually improve something, you discover there's a roadblock because there's one of these underlying bits that wasn't really built the way it should have been in the first place. Uh, and that stops you now from being able to extend the software in one particular way or fix a particular user experience. And that accumulating set of code that isn't as clean as you'd like it to be, isn't architected the way it needs to be and doesn't enable you to use the underlying capabilities of the software as flexibly as you'd want to, that accumulating set of problems is called tech debt. Um, is it's just sort of like debt for your house. At some point, you have to pay it down or you don't really own it. And so that process of paying down the tech debt isn't actually about money. It's about time spent going back in and making something do exactly the same thing it did before, but just on a much better foundation so you can build a bigger building on top of it later on. So I suspect that a lot of businesses, especially business leaders, look at a pile of tech debt or let's just say like cultural debt right inside of an organization and know that they have to deal with it. But my sense is that not a lot of them get to the point where like Evernote did, where it's like, pause on everything. We just have to deal with this. We can't keep trying to build new things until we get our house in order and because they get pushback. Like we can't stop. We have to keep going. Did you get pushback? And if you did, how did you, how, what was your process of saying, this is why this is the most important thing we have to do. I mean, I think intellectually people can say, well, we can't do more if we don't fix this. But if your job is measured by do this thing and you're told, well, we're not going to do this thing right now. I feel like there's a lot of room there for people to get very anxious and very, we're, we're, we're not doing anything. So we're not doing anything. Right. I mean, Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. It's, um, it's both an incredibly easy decision to make and an incredibly hard decision to make. Right. When you get to the point that you're stalled and actually, you know, you really can't significantly deliver, um, uh, new capabilities in your software because of all your accumulated tech debt, at some point you realize all you're doing is, um, you know, polishing around the edges. You're not actually able to do anything fundamental anymore with your software. And so from that standpoint, it's a really easy decision to say, okay, this is an unacceptable situation in the software business. You can't lead if you're not innovating, if you're not moving forward in various ways. You can't just sit still. That's not how software business works. Um, but at the same time, yes, to turn around and say, well, this is going to be a massive undertaking um, to actually fix this, uh, you know, that's, that can be a hard decision to make. The answer, did I get any pushback? The answer is no, because we all recognize where we were. Um, 
uh, and we all recognize this is is kind of what it took to actually move forward. Um, but you know, to your question, do other companies get to this situation? Yes, some companies do. Um, in general, right? You don't let it get to the point that you're truly stalled. You let it get to the point that you're like, oh wow, we really have to spend half our time now dealing with this, and half our time we can move forward. We were kind of past that point. I mean, we we were um, there at the time. We were actually trying to implement um, uh, a version of tasks, which we just you know shipped in the last three months. Um, and what we discovered, what I discovered, what I watched through my first kind of three months at the company was every two weeks we would take our, the design that we had for how we wanted tasks to work. And we would have to compromise it. We would have to compromise it because we couldn't really make it work that way because of all this tech debt. And when you built compromise on top of compromise, on top of compromise, on top of compromise, you ended up with a feature that was really not going to work. I mean, you were almost shipping a bug because there were so many compromises being made that the best you could do was not going to work the way any user would expect it and should expect it to. And when you get to a place like that, the decision to say, we have to stop and fix this because we have a vision for what this feature should be, but we can't actually implement that because we are so constrained by our tech debt. So. Yeah. And I, in full disclosure, I, I, I looked while we were talking and my first note, because I've used Evernote for a very long time, and the first, I, I just sorted by notes, reverse chronological, and it was like two, it was April of 2010. So I feel like that makes me a fairly early adopter. And I and the thing about Evernote at the time that for me was revolutionary was was probably the the ability to OCR, like yeah, I could take a picture of a receipt and then I could look for it later and I didn't have to organize things. I could just put everything in there and, and, and that was great. I eventually started using it for writing drafts of things because it, I, I thought I want everything in the same personal knowledge software. But over time, as we've just talked about it, it got harder to do each of those things because it did so many things. And right now I, uh, I listen to a lot of productivity podcasts and personal knowledge management and notes and task management are all of these things are super, I don't want to say trendy, but they're having a moment. And Evernote was obviously, if not the one of the innovators in this space, right? The original and has a reputation for that, but then also sort of has a reputation for losing its way. And I'm curious what you would say, and I want to talk specifically about some of these new features, but what you would say to people who had used Evernote, stopped using Evernote because it was harder to do the things. Because here's my, I use about six different apps to do certain things. I probably could do most of them in Evernote, but I've kind of gotten used to just doing them the way that I'm doing them. So talk to people who are maybe like me, you know, help me understand how we, why, why should we give it another chance? Cause I've got so much historical data in here that yep. I just never use anymore. So I think at the end of the day, um, it's fair to say a little bit, we, we lost our way. Um, and you know, for a while we weren't really clear on who our target market was and who we were going after. And we spent some time looking at, uh, the small business space and maybe thinking about becoming a collaboration tool. And at the end of the day, we have returned to our roots, right? We are trying to become an extension of your brain. And what, what that meant 10 years ago is very different than what it could mean today, right? At, at the end of the day, 
um, you're going to see the industry do two different things, right? One of which is I will um, uh, develop all these uh, single purpose specialist applications that do seven different things. And I, as a user, will juggle my information across these seven different areas. And the second approach is we will try and bring the most important of those together into one place and start to leverage all the connections between all those pieces of information to be able to better deliver you, the user, the context you need when you need it. Okay. And, and our view is that, you know, when all we were about was capturing information and remembering things for you, right? That was actually a much simpler problem. It's, I mean, yes, the things we did were, were leading edge and revolutionary, but like the, the focus of, as you said, capture everything, scan it, understand it, put it in the database, let you search it and find it, you know, that's great. But it turns out that these days that is not enough to actually help you get through your day, right? What I want at the end of the day is a tool that eventually, we're not there today, but eventually as I come into a meeting can, can give me, here's all the information you need for this meeting. Here are the relevant documents. Here are the tasks you've assigned to people in that meeting. Here's, the pro here's where they stand on them, right? Here's the content of the meeting. I want, I want the tool to actually be able to surface that to me actually without my having to search for it all. I actually mm -hmm. wanna go one step beyond. I, I want this thing to be a true extension of my brain. And if Evernote is gonna deliver on that, that depends fundamentally on our being able to connect all these bits of information that you have scattered across all these different dimensions of your day, whether it's your notes and your content, whether it's your tasks, whether it's your calendar and the meetings that you're in and actually start to bring that together and serve it up to you in a way that at the beginning of a meeting helps you get through that meeting. So you're not actually having to put in the work of even trying to remember, we're actually giving it to you when you need it, as you need it. And so what's driving a lot of what we have done over the last six months of the app is not just the fact that, you know, 40% of our users already use Evernote to manage their to-do items without a lot of support from us. And we could make that process better. And also 40% of our users use Evernote for meeting notes. Surprise, surprise. That's a perfectly right. reasonable use case, but there's actually no connection between that note and their calendar. Um, we're starting with building those building blocks towards a vision, right? That says to be an extension of your brain in the year 2021 actually means being able to connect all this information together. And that's why I think ultimately we are going to be leading this industry again, because we are truly gonna deliver on that idea of being an extension of your brain and not just be a great note-taking app and a great task manager and a great calendar uh, integration. We don't take over your calendar, we just integrate your existing calendar. We're gonna do all those things, but the very idea of home, which we introduced in January is to start to give you a single place where you can see all that in one place. Yeah, and I do know, I mean, in the I will say the feature of Evernote I still use all the time is the web clipper mm -hmm. because I mean, it's just a great way to grab ideas and, and, and I've always liked that I would start 
writing about something and then it would start to give me suggestions like you have this thing you saved it seems like it might be related to what you're doing so there was all of this potential and now there are apps that just you know um obsidian or all these places that are meant to try to do those same kinds of things and the the complicated piece of it for me was always it felt like i had to tell those apps where the connections were whereas evernote like the secret sauce was that it always sort of did that and so the idea that it's going to get better at that is is really interesting and I'm, i am interested about what you were talking about in terms of the calendar which is the new feature explain what does what does that mean what does it mean to have your calendar integrated with evernote so what we do with the calendar um, capability uh today is that we let you connect your google calendar to evernote and um you know on the surface that doesn't sound particularly exciting uh but in fact, it's quite revolutionary because so many, if, if you're a person, if you're a professional, right, um, then a huge amount of your day is determined and described by what goes on in your calendar, right? It tells you your meetings and who you're with and all the rest. It's actually very useful information. And what we can do actually uh, with a new calendar capability is actually make it easy for you to be going into a meeting and just say, oh, I need to create a note related to this meeting. And now you don't just create a note in Evernote, but that note is actually connected to that calendar entry. So among other things, right, you get that all populated at the top of your note, right? So all the stuff you're used to typing in, who was at this meeting, where was the meeting, what was the name of the meeting, all automatically populated. You can just start making notes. But it also means that two days from now, when you're sitting there going, huh, where is that note I took in that meeting? Instead of searching for it, you can just go to the calendar and find the notes that were related to that meeting, right? And all of a sudden, we've given you another access path to your information um, that works the way your brain works, right? If you're thinking about a meeting, the logical place to look for it is in your calendar, not actually right. by searching for what was the subject of the meeting and what have you. It's go to your calendar. And actually, when you look at the calendar inside Evernote, you don't just see the calendar. You see there are notes related to this. Click, bam, here are the notes that are related to that meeting right in front of you. And so being able to actually start to make that simplest of connections actually helps you get through your day because it lets you think of your notes in the way those notes in the way that you would think of them, right? Because they're calendar driven. But the other thing that it lets us do over time is also start to say things like, hey, you have a note, you have a, a calendar meeting starting. You already have a note about this meeting that includes your prep notes. Would you like to open it now? So you don't have to even go to your calendar to look for it. We will eventually, not this week, but soon, surface a notification that says, hey, you have a meeting starting, your notes for it, would you like to open them? And you just click the notification and now bam, you're in the context for the meeting immediately. Or if you don't actually have um, meeting notes, we let you sit there and uh, we, we say there's a meeting starting, do you wanna create a note for it? Click yes, proceed. So we're trying to remove the friction that exists for a professional who's dealing with a busy day, who's both having to make notes about meetings that they're in, as well as retrieve notes that they've prepared for meetings that they're going into and actually remove all of the friction around that 
and start to actually connect your calendar to your notes in a very real way. This is really all about context, right? For some notes, the calendar is the context for the note. And you want to be able to connect those two at a fundamental level. For tasks, the context for many tasks is actually a note you might have that explains things. So being able to put a task directly into a note, into the middle of the note where the context lives right next to it, actually, instead of having your task manager over on the side and all your notes with your context over here and having to go back and forth, we just say, no, you don't need to do that. Your tasks can live directly in the context for the note. So as we're able to connect the context with the note, with the task, with the calendar, all of these things become more powerful. So I feel like the killer feature on calendar here, and, and you didn't say this explicitly, but I sort of feel like this is the next logical step is if I have a meeting with somebody that I meet with on a semi-regular basis and I'm, and I'm looking at a note that I created for that meeting, I'm hoping at some point I'm going to be able to see like, cause often what happens to me is I'm meeting with someone like, yeah, remember when we talked about such and such? And I'm like, oh yeah, I probably have a note about that somewhere. And I have to try to figure out like scroll through or search. And I don't remember what to search about. Cause I don't remember what we talked about. And if I did, I wouldn't need the note in the first place. It seems like Evernote would be a good place to have the capability for it to then to say like, you're meeting with this person, you meet with them every week. Here's the previous meeting notes. Is that like where this is headed or is, is it, is that capable now? That is absolutely where that is absolutely Good. where this is headed. <laughs> I'm I'm sold. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I mean it, you, because there's a lot of information in there that if you choose to connect um, your calendar to a meeting note, right? It's not just the name of the calendar uh, meeting. It's not just the name of the meeting. It's also who was there. It's where was it. It's all those kinds of things, and all of that is eventually context that we can use to make that search thing you talked about at the beginning so much more powerful, right? At the beginning, what was powerful is that you could put a receipt in and we would scan it and recognize it. Now, right, where we're going towards is if you connect um, uh, a note to a calendar item, right, then actually search can start to leverage not just the content of the note, but also the list of attendees. And if next time I'm meeting, you know, with, with Jason, uh, the meeting notes for this meeting right. will come up. That's the whole place we're trying to get to because that's truly being an extension of your brain. Um, yeah, that's like super helpful. I mean, it's it's not just a feature. It's a thing where you do it a million times, but to have it, a computer actually do that, you don't have to change the way you're doing anything. It just puts it in front of you. You're, you don't have to adapt to a new system. You can just take the system you're using and now it's it's not to say that the other things aren't useful, but sometimes features become useful if you start using them and adapt your workflow to them. But this is one of those things, you don't have to change your workflow. It's just gonna give you the information. No, that's correct. And it's also a place where, you know, we talk a lot about these, these new features. They all make sense on their own, right? Home is a cool way to look at your content. Tasks is great because it actually gives you more structure around all the to-do items that you've been using in Evernote for a long time. Calendar is great because it allows you to connect your meeting notes to the actual time frame of the meeting in, in the context of the calendar. They all stand on their own and make sense. But when you use them together, they become even more valuable, right? Because obviously uh, a calendar and tasks become major parts of, of your home screen so that you can actually start to go, okay, I see what tasks I have to do today. I see the notes that are relevant for today and I see my calendar for today. And I can now look at my day through these three different lenses 
all of which are related. Um, and, and at the same time, right, obviously, a lot of what happens in, in meetings happen right. to be action items. For that, we have tasks, right? So these things are useful on their own, but they also kind of give you a one plus one plus one equals not three, kind of equals five or six sort of um, result. And we're far from done with exploring all the connections between them. There's a lot of, once these, these foundational building blocks exist in the product in this first release, and this is very much a first release, there's a lot of connections we can start to draw in between these things to make them more and more powerful. So to kind of wrap up, I wanted to ask one of the remarkable things every time I talk to tech companies right now who are doing really interesting things is all of it was worked on at a time that was unlike anything we can remember and a time that we couldn't really prepare for, right? Obviously we're talking about the pandemic. And so I'm curious what that experience was like for Evernote, because a lot of our listeners started listening to our podcast because they suddenly had to work from home and they had like they'd never done it. And my co-host Jess and I have worked remotely for years. So we thought we had something to potentially offer them. And I'm just curious what your team's work environment was like before COVID, how that changed during and how like honestly, what what is the secret to accomplishing things like this at a time when your entire team is disrupted in, in a way like this? I mean, I don't think there's any leader who um, had any training uh, really for how to manage and transition a company uh, from being, you know, presumably not a fully remote company into effectively a fully remote company with maybe 14 days notice um, over the period of about a week. <laughs> right? I mean, that was not anything that anyone was ready for. Uh, yeah, they don't teach that anywhere. And and it's and it's not anything that you have previous experience with that you can go, I know I've seen something like this before. Nobody saw anything like what's happened in the last um, year before, obviously. And um, I think it it has been, there's no question it has been a challenge. Um, we were we were a little lucky um, uh, because we we saw this we saw this coming and uh, for a number of reasons, uh, we had perhaps a little more exposure to what was going on in China and in Asia um, than other companies did. And we had actually planned a practice work from home day. Um, ever, you know, was, I can't remember, was it Evernote works from home or something? We had, we're going to have a practice day because this might be something that's in our future. And we'd actually set everything up you know, maybe a month in advance, starting leading into making sure that everything would actually work on our practice work from home day. And um, we'll put it this way, things moved faster than we thought. And our practice, we never came back from our practice work from home day. Uh, literally, our practice work from home day was the first day we went home. And we are still home, and actually, this week is the first week we are opening up an office again, um, and and making it optional for people to come in. Um, so, uh, I think we were. It was good to pra It was good that we had planned our practice work from home day. I'll take credit for that. We were lucky that we gotten it early enough that it ended up just on the cusp of being the first day that we actually went home. But that meant that all our systems were in place and that we'd scaled things, that we'd made sure everybody had access to being able to work from home. I think beyond that, um, you know, really making this work, and it's obviously easier for a software company than it is for 
you know, many, many, many businesses, right? Of all the businesses that could potentially work 100% remote, a software company is a is a pretty good example of of, of a company that can do that. Um, you know, we already had offices around the world, so we were used to some um, uh, distribution, but it was really kind of a hub and spoke model than a fully remote model. Um, and so I think the thing that I would say is actually some advice that I got when I when I first became um, a CEO uh, was, you know, there are three things. It's the old real estate joke. There are three things that are most important to being a CEO. What are they? Well, number one is communicate. Number two is communicate. And number three is communicate. And um, I think uh, for us, uh, going through this process um, while having a pandemic around us and going to a full remote working strategy, what made it work for us was constant communication. You know, we we're very clear on what the company was trying to do. We were very clear on what our priorities were. And that level of alignment in the company where there wasn't really any question about what we should be working for and what the milestones were and all the rest made it easier to go full remote than if we didn't have that kind of clarity. Um, I think having been remote, we've discovered there are things that work better as a fully remote company um, than you know, that we do this way. And as we go back to the office, um, uh, as some people go back to the office, because we basically said, you know, if you want to stay remote, you can stay remote. If you want to work from home, you can work from home. If you want to go back to the office, you can go back to the office. Totally, um, you know, uh, employee choice. Uh, we've decided to actually keep some things that we have learned from the fully remote working because they make our company better. And so uh, I'll be the first to say I'm astonished at how well it's gone um, and that we were able to make that transition. I think at the core was of making it work truly was, you know, alignment and everybody knew where they were. I mean, obviously we changed all sorts of things in the company about how we offered services and how we supported employees and things we would send to people's homes and, you know, all that. But uh, at the top, um, when I look at the kind of pyramid of stuff that mattered, communication and alignment um, was number one. Um, maybe number zero was, uh, Honestly, when we look back at it, I actually think we did a really good job of always putting employee safety first um, and employee flexibility first. I think, and, and, and I think the, the team really felt that and the team knew that first and foremost, we were concerned with, you know, people, not just their health, but their real lives, kids at home doing school, like all that disruption. It's like all of that came first. Um, and I think that really helped maintain morale uh, in the company that we weren't asking for ludicrous things. We recognized that, um, you know, life is, life is pretty weird through this process and unusual. And everybody is dealing with, um, you know, new, new challenges that are specific to their personal situation, whether it's kids at home or aging parents or a sick relative or what have you, or sick people in the family, like, that always, always, always came first. You know, the you said one thing, and I just want to ask. You said that as you are transitioning some people back, they have a choice. That there are some things that you learned and that you changed that will stick around. Can you is 
can you give an example of something that you had to change because of the pandemic and being remote that worked so well for the company that you're like, we're not going back to the old way of doing it? So I'll give you the simplest one of all was that we used to run our uh, all hands meetings. We have an all hands meeting every two weeks. And we used to run our all hands meetings like it was um, a, a, a produced television show where you would shoot the all hands from sort of a main location and there were cameras and like all the rest and there'd be somebody up in front of a crowd talking. Um, and uh, that television show would get beamed out to all of the uh, satellite offices and people could ask questions and we could get feeds into the satellite offices and all the rest. But it turns out that if you weren't actually where the live show was happening, you felt like you were watching something else. And obviously through this process, well, we had to change that because there was no central location and our all hands meetings went to fully remote. Everybody's on Zoom, you know, uh, you know, hundreds of people, anybody able to ask a question, all those kinds of things. But it turns out that that leveled the playing field and everybody felt like they were getting the same all hands and everybody felt like they were connected directly to the material instead of watching somebody else watching all hands. And so, and that's not true for all hand, just true for all hands. There was a bunch of meetings that we would have on various cadences that were these big distributed meetings that made sense uh, in that way. In some cases with a few speakers, in some cases with a lot of speakers or a lot of contributors. And we have decided every single one of those meetings will stay fully remote. It doesn't matter if you're in an office, when that meeting happens, there's no meeting room to go to. You do that meeting from your desk, everything stays fully remote. We're keeping the company completely flat in that regard. Um, and I never would have guessed that that would have happened. You know, I, and I, I will just say, I was sitting here trying to not look goofy as you were saying that, because if there was one thing that I was hoping that you would say, it's that, because at the, when the pandemic started, I worked for a company where about 40% of the team was in New York and everyone else was remote. And the same thing was true. Meetings were five people in a conference room and eight people on, on a Zoom. And the rule that happened as a result is the pandemic is if anyone is on a screen, then everyone is on a screen because, so, I mean, if it's only four people in the office meeting, they don't have to do it from their desks. But if anyone has to join that meeting from zoom, then everyone was going to be on zoom because of this very reason you met, you felt like an outsider looking in if you weren't actually in the room. And so I was, I was just glad to hear someone say that because it, it made a huge difference for the people who were working remotely. So. I, I mean, I would just say one of the things that we learned is when you have a meeting like that, where um, there are seven people remote and you know seven people in a conference room, um, it turns out that the remote people often have no idea of who is saying what in the conference room. Like they know it's being said, but they don't know who's saying it. And so one of the grand leveling features of doing those meetings fully remote is you always know who is saying what. And our experience with that has been so positive that that's why we're gonna keep um, those meetings fully remote. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Ian, for joining me. I really, I really appreciate it. And, uh, I think this has been super useful for our listeners. The, uh, new features, if they are interested in checking them out, they can obviously download Evernote on any of their devices and, and, and give it a try. Is that right? 
Yep, that's absolutely correct. It's rolling out this week, um, and uh, yeah, people should uh, people should check it out. It's uh, it's just the beginning. It's going to get even better, uh, but it's uh, exciting new capabilities that really provide the context that lets you start to tie your notes together in really interesting ways. And as you said, we do the work. You don't have to. Great. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Jason. Appreciate it.